Wasn't that a great song? Thank you. Wow. Thank you very much, team, for bringing that to us. And good morning, everyone. We are glad you're here today. And I'm up a little earlier than usual, so when I finish my sermon, it's not the end of the service, so do not leave, because if you leave, you'll be sorry that you have left. So when I sit down, it's not the end. It'll be a few more minutes, not long, afterwards, but so you know that, and we'll talk about that towards the end as well. But we're glad you're here, and those of you online, God bless you. We're glad you're here. And let me just say, if you are healthy, come back to church. If you need to stay at home or wherever you are, stay there and watch us live stream either way. And for all of you who are here, isn't it great to have some good weather to come to church in? Wow, this is nice. Only in Florida can it be what it was a day and a half ago and then what it is this morning. Unbelievable, beautiful, and uh, we're glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in this for the rest of the summer, so I hope you're starting to read it and understand it a little bit as well. And we're finishing up the Beatitudes uh, today, which is the verses, which are the verses I just read, and then... Through the summer, uh, Matthew McDaniel and Francois and I will take us through as we have different vacation times and all, and I know some of you will be away, and that's okay. Each week we'll stand alone. It's, it's interesting, as you read the Sermon on the Mount, there are distinct paragraphs in it. So if you miss it and you go, oh, I can't come back, no, don't worry about it. You've missed something. You can listen to it online later, but come back and hear and understand the Sermon on the Mount. It is a great passage. I think it's the key passage of Jesus's early ministry. And we're in the Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes. You might say there are nine, but really there's eight. Um, the last one kind of exemplifies the eighth one. So we'll look at that a little later. But last week I talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the merciful. So I did three. So today I'm going to do five and finish them up. So we'll finish these. So the first one is in verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. We talk a lot about meekness. It's a very similar and almost a sister concept to being poor in spirit, which is humility. Meekness is gentleness, but it's also strength. Meekness is what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was meek, but he was, if he was anything, he was very strong. Meekness is not weakness. And as you remember last week, I said, having humility is not being a doormat having people walk all over you. Meekness is the same. It is not being a doormat. It's being gentle, but having strength in that gentleness. And so we need to have that. We as believers need to live in this world that we live in, especially now in what is happening around our world. We need some meekness in this world. There's a lot of pride going on. There's a lot of shouting going on. There's a lot of things going on. I think we as Christians need to act as followers of Christ and do it in meekness. And he says here something interesting that we, is a throwaway comment. It says here, you shall inherit the earth. Now we just kind of go, what on earth is that? I don't know what it means, so I just might as well skip it and go to the next one. No, we're not gonna skip it. Inheritance. Now, back then, 
in the first century, in the time of Rome, inheritance, and in the time of Jewish, inheritance is different than inheritance now. Now, many times we give our children, or we give our nieces and nephews, or you give um, to a, uh, a donation, to a, a fund, or to um, a nonprofit, or whatever it may be, and you do that all the time. You just go, you know, I'm going to give a little pre-inheritance to my kids. Housing's going up. I'm going to help them buy a house or get an apartment or something like that. And you do that. That was never done in the past. Back in this time, it took a death to have an inheritance. Only time you inherited was when someone died. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Now, it's a parable, so it's not true. But Jesus talked about the prodigal son. And you remember what the prodigal son asked his father for? his inheritance. Now, we go, well, that was kind of stingy of him wanting his inheritance early. No, what it was, was he wanted his father dead. Because the only way you got an inheritance was death. And this is what was so radical about the story of forgiveness and compassion of the father was he was not forgiving the son for wasting the money. He was forgiving his son for wanting him dead. Do you see that? When there's an inheritance, there's a death. And the beauty of the prodigal son is the compassion of the father is the compassion we are to have. We are not to be the prodigal son or the elder son. We are to be the father who was compassionate. So in here, what does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, everybody, it could be two things because there's a death that has to occur. Whose death? If it's my death, the death of the believer, then my inheritance is spoken about in the book of Revelation. And what is that inheritance? We're gonna get a new heaven and a new earth. Right? Revelation chapter 21 says that I saw, John is seeing the future. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and the believers are going to get a new earth. You are going to have a new earth. But some believe this may be Jesus' death. And if it's Jesus' death, and he's forestating his death, then we are going to have blessing here on earth because he died and you and I are post Jesus' death and resurrection. So we shall inherit the earth. What it means is we have a responsibility to this earth. So many people think, oh, I become a believer, now everything I do is this way, heavenly. And it is, a lot of it is, but please remember, God has kept you here on earth to do something. So many times and through so much of history of the church, the church says, once you become a believer, only think of things above and not things of earth. And the reality is you live here on earth and you need to think of it. And what do you need to think about is sharing Christ with other people. You need to understand your calling and what is your calling? We'll talk about this as an application at the end. But whatever your calling is, it is also to share the love of Christ here on earth. It's to share and understand who Christ is this way, but we live on earth. My feet are on earth right now. Your feet are on earth. And God is not saying, okay, it all starts when you die. It all starts when I died. And then you have that opportunity. It's a beautiful thing. And let me tell you, people don't want to hear this, you say, It was interesting, Elizabeth and I shared the gospel this week to a group of people that were about two-thirds non-believers 
in the room. There was about 180 people in the room. Two-thirds were not believers. That means there's about 120 people who are not followers of Christ. And we shared the gospel. They didn't throw stones. They didn't throw the tomatoes. They, you know what? They listened. They listened. Can I tell you that people need to hear the story of Jesus Christ? I don't care we're going to talk about persecution in a few minutes, but they need to hear the story of Jesus Christ. And the way they're going to hear the story of Jesus Christ is really only two ways in a major sense. One is reading the Bible, which is probably not happening a lot, but thank God for Gideons and others who give the Bible away. And also because you and I and others like us share the gospel with other people. We have been told to do that. And we will inherit the earth. What does that mean? The beautiful thing is if I share Christ with you, and you become a believer, of course, it's all God's work, but there's an inheritance there. I'm going to see you in heaven. I'm going to see you on the new earth. It's a beautiful thing. Or I can just go by myself. I can be stingy and greedy and want the inheritance by myself, or I could say I want to bring it with you. That's what I think the meekness is. The meekness is being agile enough to share the gospel and I think, you know, some people, I guess, are called just to rip it out and go like this. I've never been able to do that. Some do, and I'm glad they can. But I have to kind of share it a little quieter, a little in another way. And you go, I can't just go on a street corner and go like this. Well, that doesn't mean that's the only way to share Christ. Figure out how God has gifted you and share Jesus Christ if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He goes on, number two. In verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is a whole different kind of thing. Hunger and thirst, or lack of hunger and thirst, is an internal thing. It's inside. Poor in spirit, or pride, or envy, or greed, or merciful, or more. These are all outward-oriented. If I'm hungering for something, you don't know that. You, you have no clue, because it's an internal thing. And what this really is, is that if you look at the opposite, we, last week we looked at some opposites. The opposite of hunger is having no appetite. Ambivalence, I don't care. There's nothing, and what uh, Christ is saying is you have to hunger after righteousness, because if you don't hunger after righteousness, you're just going to be, there's no appetite. There's just nothing. And see, I don't know, and others may not know what your appetite is in this situation. You come to church, so you're walking here, you come watch us on the live stream, or you read your Bible, but do you really have an appetite for Jesus Christ, because lack of hunger, they call this a cold sin. Hot sins are anger, greed, pride, you know, avarice, uh, all these kind of things. The cold sins are laziness, ambivalence, lack of appetite of spiritual things. Those are the cold sins. Those are the sins of, if I could use it, omission. These are the sins of commission. You commit these sins, you omit doing good, and that's a sin. And he's saying lack of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is bad. But if you do hunger and thirst, you will be satisfied. This is a beautiful thing. If you go to the Father and say, I'm hungry, he is going to feed you. There's a spiritual context to that, and I believe there's also a physical context to that as well, 
Because later in this passage, when we get into it, he knows even the sparrows. He knows the birds and their needs. And if he knows the birds and their needs, he certainly knows the people who are made in the image of God and their needs, doesn't he? And it's a hunger and thirst. Doing nothing is not the right thing. You go, well, if I do nothing, I haven't sinned. Doing nothing is a sin according to this. You have to do something. And it's not the sins of pride and all those sins. It's hungering for righteousness. He goes on in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, who is the one who is the purest in heart? Of course, it's the Messiah. It's the Christ. It's the Savior. And it's interesting because we have a lot of Jewish people in our community. I don't really care if you call Jesus the Messiah you call him the Christ, you call him the Savior. It's the same one. It's Jesus. And so many times I'm talking about the Messiah, many times I'm talking about Christ, many times I'm talking about the Savior, but it's Jesus Christ. It's no one else. And we need to understand that. And purity of heart gives us joy. We get to see God, for they shall see God. You remember, there's very few people in the Old Testament got to see God. Moses was one of them. We'll come back to him a little later. There's a sense of moral uprightness. Christ is our purity. And here's something I want you to make sure you understand what I say. With moral uprightness, all roads lead to Christ. I'm not saying all roads lead to God because that's not biblical. But if you're morally upright, it leads to Christ. If you're morally upright and it leads to yourself, then it's not moral uprightness. It's just being good. And we can be good, and there's nothing wrong with being good, but being good is not the answer. It's being morally upright, and we need to do that. And he says that is what the pure of heart is. We use a word in our uh, statements. We talk about authentic community. Authenticity is purity. It's the diamond, it's the emerald, when you look at it, has that clarity and that perfection to it. It's the gold that has been purified that Isaiah talks about. It's the silver that has been heated up and purified and the impurities have gone away. Other words are integrity or wholeness as well. And then in verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. This is an important one. How do you become a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. How do you become a peacemaker? Well, you usually can't define it with the words that are in it, but let me do it. If you make peace, you are a peacemaker. Making peace is being a peacemaker. Action follows being. Can you write that down? This is kind of a heavy thought. Action follows being. What do I mean? When I see you do something good, what have I seen? What have I seen if I've seen you do something good? Nothing. I don't know if it's good. I haven't seen anything because I don't know if it's good, because the action, I don't know what the being is behind the action. Let me give you an example. Four thoughts about your actions 
Write these down or memorize these, do whatever it takes. First of all, well, let me ask a question before I give the four. How do you know if it's even good? Oh, she did a good thing. How do I know it's good? Why would I say it's even good? Number one, I'm going to give you four. Number one, because God has said it's good. We need to understand what God says about something. So let's do a little test here. I want you to think, everyone in this room and everyone on the live stream, think of something that you can do that is good. Just yourself. Think of something. Forgive, be generous, love, be kind, be merciful, be gentle, be gracious, be steadfast, be patient. You got something in your mind? Okay, what does God say about that? Now, if you have the word be proud, be envious, be angry, God says something about that as well, right? What does God say about this action that you're about to do? That's number one, because God speaks about these things. You have to understand. So if you do something that is uh, generous to me, as I always say, give me money, give the church money, well, I would say that's good, but I don't really know if it's good. No, it's good for the church. The church gets some money. We can keep the lights on. That's all good. But I don't know that what you did was good. I do know this, that God says it's good. So we've started in a good thing. It's more blessed to give than to receive, the generosity, the spirit of generosity. That's all good. Number two, though, this is key. How do you think about it? The Bible says we are to renew our mind. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, let us have this mind which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, we should have the mind of Christ. In other words, you need to think through what you are doing. Is your thinking right? God tells us what to do. Is my thinking right? Now, I'm going to give you some money. And what my thinking may be, I want you to tell everybody that I gave you money. Bill is generous. What is my thinking? My thinking is pride. That's not good. Though generosity is good and giving is good, my thinking was bad and I have sinned, even though you don't know it because God says giving is good and I gave and that is good. Do you see it? Do you see the problem here? Your thinking is bad and you have sinned in your mind. So you can't just go, what does God say? And you can't just go, I'm going to do it. You have to, what are you thinking about it? So it's God, my thinking, and then it's your heart, out of your heart. So what are, you, what are your feelings about? You know, I really hate this person. I hate him. That's coming out of the heart. I hate him. But you know what? I'm going to give him something to make him think I really like him. I gave, that's good. God says give, I give, but I've sinned because I hate that person. Do you see it? So there are really four parts of being and acting. What does God say about it? How do I think about it? How do I feel about it? Then what am I doing about it? Because I could also be stingy and not give. I could also be stingy and not forgive. I could be stingy and not be gracious. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this exactly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do you see that? It's all there. It's right there. If you want him to direct your paths, you got to trust in him. That's up here. But you also have to do the other things as well. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Do you see it? There's a concept to this that is so important. And that is a part of peacemaking. It's not peacekeeping. You've heard me talk about this a lot. Everybody can be a peacekeeper. Anybody can be a peacekeeper. The way to keep peace is just be stronger than the other people. If I have two kids fighting in front of me, I can keep the peace. I can grab that one shoulder and put it over here. I can grab that shoulder and put him over here, and I have kept the peace. But I haven't made peace. I've kept the peace. God is calling us through Christ to be peacemakers. In other words, do the things God tells us, believe them with our mind and our heart, and then to actually do them. And then we'll be peacemakers. And I think we as 21st century believers have lost a little of this. I think we've lost some of the peacemaking in our lives. I think we know what to do, and occasionally we do it, but I don't know that we have the heart of God to do it sometimes. I just, I look out there and I go, I'm not saying you in particular, I'm looking at me and others as well. And then the final one, this is a tough one. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to understand that there is pain that comes before blessing. Just mark it down. Pain comes before blessing. There is persecution that comes. It's the cost of receiving the kingdom of heaven. Now, you are persecuted one of two reasons. One, because you are extremely good or people are extremely bad. And both occur sometimes. Sometimes you're not extremely good and you're still persecuted because people are extremely bad. And sometimes you're extremely good and people are just sort of bad and they're persecuting you. So there's a sense that if you follow the Beatitudes, you will be persecuted. You might be even persecuted by believers as well. Why are you doing that? Why are you so dogmatic about that? Why are you doing that? And then, of course, the non-believers as well. Corey Ten Boom was asked... She's one of my favorites, died about 40 years ago. She said, she was talking about when you're persecuted, how do you know, you know, we talk about Christ holding us. Someone asked her, how do you know you're not going to slip out of the hand of God when you're persecuted? How do you know you're just not going to slip through? And she looked at the person, she said, I am the hand of God. And what she meant by that was saying, we are the body of Christ. We are his body. We are a part of him. We are connected with him. The Bible says some are the fingers, some are the toes, some are the ears, some are the eyes, some are the nose. Christ is the head and we're the body. We are not going to lose. Christ is not going to let us when we are persecuted just slip through his hands because we are a part of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. It's the metaphor that Christ uses. Yes, he talks about buildings and he talks about marriage and all these other metaphors of the church, but we are his body. Now, let's let's bring some practical side to this and 
Before I do, on the persecuting, and then I'm going to talk about all the Beatitudes for a minute. So this, is, this one's difficult because we are entering a time of persecution in this country. I mean, just wake up, my friends. We are entering a time of persecution. Will it be this year, next year, the following year, or 20 years from now? I can't tell you, but we are entering into a season of that. So I'm going to say a couple of hard things. But I just want you to know, as I said before, my name is Bill, and I'm your friend. Just remember that. Can you remember that? My name is Bill, and I am your friend. This summer, there are two major issues that are going to face this country. If you're outside the United States watching the live stream, you'll get a taste of what's happening in the United States of America. But in our country, there are two big issues. Among many issues, there's dozens of issues. But the tip of the spear this summer, number one, is Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is a decision made by the Supreme Court in 1972-ish that said abortions were okay on demand. And there's been some leaking out of the Supreme Court that they might do away with that. In other words, there's the issue of life and death before the birth of a child. I believe a child is alive and a child is made in the image of God before he or she comes out of the birth canal. I am ardently pro-life. And I believe it's a concept from God. I don't believe it just because my head says it or my heart says it. I believe it's a concept from God. God talks about he knew us before we were born. We knew us in our mother's womb. He talks to Jeremiah about it. There's just a whole sense you're made in the image of God. That child's made in the image of God. The image of God is key. And I believe whether that baby is on this side of the womb or this side of the womb, he or she is made in the image of God. Whether two weeks old, 10 weeks old, nine, eight and a half months old, that's what I believe. I ardently believe that. I am a pro-life, this church is pro-life, our documents are pro-life, you all are pro-life. This is who we are because we start with God. And then we work down to how we deal with it, okay? That's issue number one. And can I tell you, you're going to get some persecution on that one. But I believe that's persecution for righteousness sake. Just let it know. And can I tell you, if someone comes to me, I'm going to put you in jail unless you change your view about pro-life, I go... Let's go. I'm going to go to jail because I am ardently pro-life because that persecution is for righteousness. Now, remember, my name is Bill, and I'm your friend. The second big issue is gun regulation. Kids are shooting kids in this country. Now, let me just step back. Four years ago, a group of ladies came to me and said, we want to meet with you. They were... um, incredible pro-life people, and they were very much integrated into the political system, and great Christian women, they came to me, and we were talking about pro-life, and then all of a sudden, they started about Second Amendment rights, and it's God's given right that we can own guns and assault weapons, and the world is going against us Christians and all the rest. I said, stop. I just stop. There's a big difference between pro-life and gun regulation, Gun regulation has to do with documents that were made by people. The Bill of Rights, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence. And as Abraham Lincoln said, they are of the people, by the people, for the people. People made those documents. 
Okay, now I'm not saying you should be pro-Second Amendment or against Second Amendment, but please understand, if you get persecuted for what you believe about the Second Amendment, it is not being persecuted for righteousness sake, it's being persecuted for your beliefs of citizenry. And I'm fine with that, be perso- I'm fine, I'm not saying believe one or the other, but please don't ever say the Second Amendment is our God-given right. Life is a God-given right. Second Amendment is a nation-given right. Wow, there's about 500 of you that are sending daggers up here. (laughs) Here's the point. Evangelical Christians are being persecuted for the wrong thing. I want to be persecuted for the right thing. Now, Alex de Tocqueville, a French social scientist in the 1800s, came to America and wanted to find out why America was so great. And after traveling everywhere, and he read a book, he wrote a book called Democracy in America. It's a wonderful book, a little hard to read because of the language, but it's a great book. And at the end, he said these words, America is great because America is good. And when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. There is a goodness that is responsible in the way we live our lives, and that goodness has been taken away because people are not as moral as they used to be. I owned a gun when I was 16 years old. I never once thought of shooting other kids. That's what, you know, kids down here, when it was a rural area back then, we owned guns. Never once. Why? Because my dad taught me goodness, and my dad taught me gun safety and all the rest. That is not the same today. So I'm not saying what we should believe or what we shouldn't believe, but please, we need to do something in this nation about kids killing kids. I'm just telling you, and we as Christians are standing on, I think, weak sand right now, and we need to stand on strong sand. That's all I'm saying. If you want to be pro-Second Amendment, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. But somehow, we got to get assault weapons out of the hands of kids. Somehow, and we as Christians got to be at the head of us and not worry about, well, they're taking away our God-given rights. I'm telling you, they're not God-given rights. They're citizen-given rights. And maybe we need to work more at making people good than having guns. In other words, the gospel can transcend this. Laws cannot transcend this. I'm not being political. I'm not being blue, red, left, right, up, down, this or that. All I'm saying is we as gospel people need to live out the gospel, whatever that means. Why? And let me give you the conclusion here. Three reasons about the Beatitudes, not the why about the Second Amendment. Do what you want. You're big people. I'm just telling you what I believe. I'm like, if someone said, change your view of the Second Amendment or you're going to jail, I'd say, I'm changing my view because I'm not going to jail for that. But you want me to change my view about who Jesus is? I'm going to jail for that one because I'm okay with being persecuted for righteousness. I am not okay with being persecuted for my personal beliefs on the Bill of Rights. 
Now, I hope certain things happen. I just wish you could own a gun and not kill anybody. I like to, what's that word, skeet shoot. You know, it's fun. It's great. But other people like to shoot other things and whatever. Three things. Why did Christ give us the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes? Number one, it is to please him. You want to please God, be poor in spirit, merciful, mournful, pure in heart, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Be mournful. Be a peacemaker to please God. Number two, it's so that you can have a healthy soul. My friends, we need people with healthy souls. If you read anything about these people that are doing some of these aberrant behaviors, they do not have healthy souls. God wants you to have a healthy soul. That is this, this part of you. They're doing these things wrong because these parts are bad and unhealthy. And let me tell you, we need to reach into people's lives. We can try to change this in people, but I think God is calling us to change this, the heart of people. Get them to be healthy spiritually so that we can please God. And then finally, the last one is, it's to survive. <laughs> it's just kind of the, the, the opposite of having a healthy heart to survive. If you're a person of pride, you are going to struggle the rest of your life. If you're a person of anger, you're going to struggle the rest of your life. If you have envy, greed, uh, laziness in your spiritual walk, etc. If you hate peace and love conflict, you're just not going to survive. I mean, it is just unbelievable the things that are happening in this world. And we as people of God and of Christ need to break through that with the message of Jesus Christ. I hope you believe that.